Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome along to this week's episode of La Liga Lowdown. This is our Match Day 13 recap hosted by me, Hugh McTeer, and rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We've got so much to discuss, so let's get to it. We'll be talking Madrid Derby in just a bit. We've got some analysis of Barcelona's narrow victory over Levante. And we'll be asking what's gone wrong with Hitafi. But first, let's start with the most emotional moment of the weekend. On Saturday, newly promoted Huesca finally earned their first victory of the season at the 13th attempt. They overcame Alaves 1-0 thanks to Javi Ontiveros goal and Ontiveros gave an emotional pitch-side interview after the game. He said, The tribute is for my grandmother who's in the hospital with the coronavirus and I hope she'll get better as soon as possible because I need her and I love her a lot. Here's how it sounded with Ontiveros being applauded by everyone else who was pitch-side at the stadium at that moment. Really emotional stuff there from Ontiveros and everyone in this world of Spanish football is rooting for his grandmother to come through this well. I think that just provides a little bit of context in terms of the times we're living in and the emotional toll all of this has taken on some of the footballers around La Liga. Casemiro spoke in midweek about how the players aren't machines. You heard there that Ontiveros certainly isn't a machine. He's a person with worries just like everyone else. And he's a person who's earned Huesca their first victory of the season. So well done to him. We're going to discuss now the biggest match of the weekend, which was the Madrid derby on Saturday night. An early Casemiro header and a Jan Oblak on goal in the second half, provoked by a Danny Carvajal shot off the post. That meant that Real Madrid won this 2-0 and they won convincingly. We're going to speak now to Real Madrid journalist Emily Wilson about this game. And Emily, I mean, it's never surprising for Real Madrid to win a Madrid derby. They won many, of course, but were you surprised just how dominant they were against the team that had been top of the league? To be honest, I think they might have caught Diego Simeone's men off guard a bit just because besides that recent UCL game, Real has been all over their place in regards to their performances. But against Atleti, they started off really strong and were confident, which in turn resulted in Atleti needing to change their game plan halfway through. 
Yeah, Simeone was the one who had to make adjustments in response to what the opposition were doing. Zidane just played that classic 4-3-3 with Modric, Kroos and Casemiro together in the middle. We've seen those three play a lot together recently. Do they still have what it takes to win titles together? I'll never get tired of watching this midfield trio play. Modric looks like a teenager at 35, and I'm not sure how. Cruz, it was another great performance from him. He's always looking for perfection. And Casemiro is one of the best in his positions, and he's been such a clutch player in this season especially. At the rate they're playing, I wouldn't be too surprised if they led the team to more titles. However, Zidane has to find a way how to implement other midfielders into the rotation. So Martin Odegaard, Fede Valverde, and the like. But... At the rate that these three are playing, Real can definitely win many more games and possibly even those titles. In this game, we saw Carvajal and Lucas Vasquez play together for once. What did you think of that partnership they formed on the right-hand side? I thought the partnership was really great. With Carvajal's recent absence, uh, Lucas really stepped up to the challenge and became the makeshift right back. He deserves the credit for it though, because in multiple matches, he was a workhorse on the pitch and really helped Real get some positive performances. Against Atleti, you could see how Lucas's defensive skills developed and he helped Carvajal dominate down that right-hand side. Plus, they're both club veterans who know how to get the job done, which was really needed in this derby. For sure. And finally, Emily, what were your thoughts on Atletico? Were you surprised at how quiet some of their guys like Marcos Llorente, Joff Leakes and Luis Suarez were? I think a lot of people were really surprised at how quiet Atletico were as a whole, but their usual starting exercise had a pretty busy schedule, so to see them be a little bit tired isn't too surprising. Llorente was alright on the night. Jao Felix took a little bit of time to get into the game, but once he did, he was pretty influential. Had some beautiful moments with the ball and tried to spark Atleti into a couple different counterattacks, but just didn't have enough support. I think it's safe to say his substitution, though, was very confusing. Frankly, I would have thought Luis Suarez came off before Felix because he didn't really do much or add any threat. That one's a question for Diego Simeone to answer. And another standout for me was Jan Oblak, who made a couple important saves to keep the deficit down at just 2-0. One was the early stop against Benzema, and then also the late one against Lucas Vazquez that could have seen Real score their third. Yeah, it could have been more than 2-0, but all that Zidane and his guys will be caring about is that they got the three points to move within three of their city rivals. Well, thank you, Emily, for bringing us the Derby load down there. We're going to wrap up part one now with our sore throat game of the week, where we bring you the commentary clips from one of the most exciting matches of the round. This week, we're going to be looking at Real Valladolid's 3-2 win over Osasuna, a five-goal thriller that was most welcome because La Liga and Santander are partnering up this month to donate €1,000 to food banks for every goal scored. Real Valladolid and Osasuna certainly did their part then, as Matt Clark is going to explain now. The first match of the weekend served up a Friday night partidazo at Estadio Jose Zorrilla. I'm not sure too many of us had this one down as a thrilling goal fest, but that's exactly what we got. Real Valladolid's record signing Sean Weissman was making his first start since early November, and he wasn't hanging around. Within seven minutes, he had given the host the lead with a fine touch, turn and finish across Sergio Herrera in the Osasuna goal. His first for the club and his first in Spanish football. Last season's top scorer in the Austrian Bundesliga is said to be a personal favourite of Ronaldo, and he's off and running now. And here is how it sounded on Copy. Miró el asistente pensando 
que podía estar en fuera de juego, no se creía que estuviera tan solo delante de la portería de Sergio Herrera, pero el delantero la cruzó bien y se queda ahora mirando a la cámara de los fans para celebrar el primero del Valladolid, que le saca del descenso marca Baisman en Zorrilla, Real Valladolid 1, Osasuna 0. I love the description of his celebration, looking to the camera to celebrate his first goal. Osasuna responded well with a goal of their own, as Ante Budimir beat the offside trap to head home and restore parity for Los Rojillos. The emphatic nature of this goal is reflected in the commentary. Testarazo. solo, miró alrededor pensando pero bueno, tampoco estoy en fuera de juego, no parece que lo estuviera lo concede el asistente Budimir, testarazo maravilloso abajo, girando bien el cuello 60% de Budimir's 15 La Liga goals have come away from home and a third of them have been with his head Osasuna turned it around completely before half time as Roberto Torres latched onto a loose ball and emphatically scored to put the visitors into the ascendancy going into the break Real Valladolid needed something at the start of the second half, and luckily for them, Osasuna keeper Herrera provided it for them before the hour. He bundled into Joaquin Fernandez at a corner and conceded a penalty, which Fabian Oriana converted. Both sides fancied their chances of going on to win it, but it was the hosts who took the initiative. Pablo Hervías, who came on in the second half, produced a perfect cross into the box, and Sean Weissman did what he was doing in Austria last season, putting the ball in the back of the net, heading back across Herrera a precious headed golazo to provoke the comeback. Here's how that one sounded. Osasuna tried to find another equaliser and Jonathan Cagliari shot narrowly wide, but it was to no avail. Guizela have now picked up 10 points in their last 5 matches as they start to blend together their new additions into the team. As for Osasuna, they have now failed to win any of their last 6 and they haven't won since celebrating their centenary, collecting just a single point in the process. Losing Chimi Avila to another serious knee injury was of course always going to be a blow, but Yagoba Arasate must start to find solutions as Osasuna now sit bottom of the table and it is looking like a bleak winter for Los Rojillos. Thanks for that, Matt. Yes, it's so tight at the bottom of the table. The bottom three are all actually on 11 points each. That's Osasuna, Huesca and Levante. And we'll talk about Levante's loss at Barcelona at the start of part two. That's coming up after this short pause. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We've discussed the Madrid derby in part one and we're going to start part two by looking back on Barcelona's narrow victory over Levante on Sunday night. They won this game at the Camp Nou but it wasn't a thrashing like in some other recent Barca home games. This time all that separated the teams was one Leo Messi goal in the second half. Let's bring in Roman de Arquer now and Roman I mean just quite simply it was a 1-0 win for Barcelona but it wasn't great was it? It definitely wasn't a Barcelona masterclass, we can agree on that, but I wouldn't say it was a poor game either. I mean, um, after watching the game, letting it sink in a little bit and reviewing it, I mean, Barca had 24 shots, uh, if I'm not mistaken, during this match, and 23, oh, sorry, 13 of those were on target, so um, that's a pretty good number, so the opportunities were definitely there, it was just a matter of getting the ball in. But it is true that Barca do have certain problems in terms of the ball movement and fluidity. I'd say that has to improve. And also the decision-making when they get towards the rivals or the opponent's box, I think, isn't the best. And then I'd even point out certain individual performances which aren't up to the level and are kind of uh, affecting the team as a whole. And as I said before, uh, it's true that Barca were generating an attack. And I just get the feeling that if maybe they'd scored... A couple more goals, maybe three or four goals, and got a wider result. 
I think we would have had a different perception after the game and, and we would have like said like Barca had a pretty good game. So I think in this particular game, that was very decisive, uh, was a key factor for Barca not um, maybe getting a, giving a bit better image uh, from this match. Yeah, you're not mistaken, Roman. It was 24 shots. It was 13 on target. You sort of mentioned there about how they could have won by many goals. I mean, in the past, they would have beaten a mid-table team or a bottom-half team like Levante comfortably, right? So what's the problem now? There are so many reasons I think Barca have reached this point, and I'll try and keep it short, which won't be easy. But first of all, I think we, of course, have to mention the terrible 2020 uh, Barca have had uh, with two managers being sacked, a president having to resign because the fans do not want him uh, there. Also, all the economic problems, um, the Barca gate, the thrashing in Europe against Bayern and all the previous troubles we'd been dragging from previous years that have all kind of imploded at this 2020. And then furthermore, we could talk about the fact that the calendar is really intense this season. I mean, it's game after game. As a matter of fact, this week, Barca are playing uh, Real Sociedad on Wednesday. Then at the same time, you've got a very competitive uh, La Liga where there's a very short gap of points between the European competitions and relegation. And I'd even point out the fact that a lot of young players are uh, coming into the first team dynamic and, and playing uh, starters like, for example, uh, Araujo, Mingueza, Pedri, Trincao, Dest, etc., etc. You know, it's, it's a new level for them and, and they have to kind of adapt to a new formation, to playing with with players that have been there a long, long time. And it's it's not easy, you know. And all these things, I think, together are not allowing Barca to be the Barcelona we've known from previous seasons. And it won't be easy to get past this, but hopefully uh, they'll manage. Just going back to this game, Messi scored. He was the one that got the goal. What do you make of him right now? He's not at his best, but is he still the best player in La Liga? For me, Messi is, is still the best, no matter what. I mean, he is such a uh, an important player. He was decisive in this game against Barcelona, and he's going to continue to be decisive in a team where there are um, other superstars, but they're not shining and they're nowhere near Messi's level, I'd say. And not just in Barcelona, but overall in the whole competition. Uh, there are definitely good players, but Messi, you know, is just one step ahead. And during the games, he might not be... Uh, coping all the highlights, but I think it's because he's not scoring as many goals. He's struggling towards towards goal. It's clear. I mean, not just uh, in in play, but also when t when it comes to free kicks, he used to be scoring them uh, week after week, and now he's just not finding the target. And so that's definitely something that's affecting his football, and that's maybe bringing down his level slightly. But I still think that Messi. It does messy things all the time. He still gives those amazing passes. His vision is incredible. His technical abilities are just out of the question. And he's still such an important player to this team. So I have no doubt that Messi is still the best at the moment. Thanks, Roman. So wins this weekend for the biggest two in La Liga. Also a win for Sevilla, who won 1-0 away at Atafi. Thanks to late Javier Chaita on goal. That's a great result for Sevilla, of course, but... For Hitafi, it now means they've not won any of their past seven. Since they beat Barcelona on October 17th, it's been four defeats and three draws since then. So, to analyse all this, let's bring in Hitafi fan Dom Tankok. Dom, just what's happened exactly since that Hitafi win over Barcelona all the way back in mid-October? 
Wow, that um, that Barcelona game seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, you know, two points from a possible 21 since that game and um, just four goals in those games, in seven games. Um, you know, the game straight after, everyone was on a high. Granada came and, and they've been on their own personal high this season and, and, and pretty much were very comfortable in a 1-0 win. Um the game for me, which is the key game, is Valencia away, which was the second game after Barca win. Um, really good performance, played really well, ruffled Valencia and uh, were 2-1 up. Of course, Angel scoring in the 92nd minute. Looks like he's won it. And uh, we all know what happened in the 100th minute. You know, Valencia are given a penalty, which, which was never a penalty. And uh, they tuck it away. And I just think that absolutely took the stuffing out of out of the club almost and out of the supporters you know a lot of my friends who I talked to in Madrid were were pretty deflated after that even this weekend Sevilla at home you know I don't really expect to beat Sevilla at home but I expect to give them a game and 25% possession just never really looked at it Sevilla looked quite comfortable um, and of course a bit fortunate with the own goal but you know we never really looked like we were going to get much from that game as well yeah, I mean, there's no shame in losing to Sevilla, but I feel like Sevilla would have been scared of this fixture last season. They didn't seem scared in this one, did they? I think you're right. You know, Sevilla turned up and uh, looked really comfortable. And Sevilla just in good form. You know, I think that's seven wins from nine games. They look pretty comfortable. And um, yeah, it just that the no fans in the Coliseum makes a huge difference. And Sevilla turned up on the day, did what they needed to do and and sort of got out of town with a 1-0 win and the three points. To try to fix things, Jose Bordelas has made a few tweaks, but these aren't really working, are they? Yes, you're right. I mean, Bordelas has tweaked things along the way this season and was forced to tweak things this weekend with the suspensions from the two red cards from the uh, Levante game. But... Um, He's he's just so defensive and so concerned about not conceding and not getting beat. And, you know, for me, he just doesn't doesn't allow the players to express themselves and to really open up. Um, the only time I've really seen us open up this season is the last 15 against Athletic Club, you know, and, and we played some really nice football. Um, a Betis 3-0 right at the start of the season was good as well. But... For me, Bordelas, you know, there's not really a plan B and he leaves things a little bit late for me. You know, take the Sevilla game at the weekend. We go 1-0 down with nine minutes, but he waits until the 88th minute to bring uh, Portilla on, to bring Moyeco on. And for me, those two players should be, as soon as we go 1-0 down, you know, get them on. Of course, you'll gather from this, I'm a massive Portilla fan, but Portillo for me is is a great player, can create things can run a game and um, he just doesn't get enough chances in the style that Bordelas wants to play, you know, and I think teams have worked him out, teams have worked Getafe out, which is why, you know, it's just not clicking for us this season at all. That's really interesting. Looking a bit further back, Getafe's perform really started with football's return in June. Why do you think it is that they're struggling more than most in this era of new normal? Is it the lack of fans? Is it the Five subs rule, what do you think? You know, since the restart in June, um, you know, Getafe have have taken 21 points from a possible 69. 
and they've scored 15 goals in in 23 games. I mean, that kind of tells its own story, really. And it hasn't been right since COVID and coming back and playing in in this style of environment. And it doesn't suit the club. Um, it doesn't suit the team. The intensity that the club like to play at, and I think they draw from crowds away. You know, when the crowds are on their back and they like to get in clubs' faces and annoy the the home crowd. They draw on that and they really believe in that. And and even at home, you know, when when the Coliseum is rocking and and the supporters really get behind Getafe, it's a pretty hostile place to play. And I think, you know, um, Guillaume Balaguer touched on it earlier um, in in the season when he said, actually at the start of last season when he said, you know, Getafe without the fans will struggle. And and he's been proven correct, I think. You know, and now we look as if we're in a relegation fight. Um, nine goals all season this season and you know I just wish that we would just open up and play a little bit but under Borderlass that's not going to happen Borderlass is always defensive minded but speaking to friends that follow Getafe in Madrid you know we're all kind of saying the same thing really we just need to open up and what's the point of having Portillo from having Moyeco even Cucurella needs to just open up a little bit more he's so creative um, but you just feel that, you know, it's all about defending. It's all about hard work. It's all about ruffling the opponents, which, you know, works really well against Barca and against Real Madrid, where we're never going to compete with them at a football level. But, you know, we should be competing with the, with Levante and Ibar with respect to them. And, you know, ideally we should be really beating them. I think it's going to be a long, hard season. You know, I think Borderlass maybe has lost the dressing room. I think... People thought he was going to leave and that's got that cloud still hangs over the Coliseum and um, we'll wait and see. You know, there's two or three big games coming up now and um, we need to just pick up a win somehow. Even if it's a last minute own goal, uh, we just need that win and, and hopefully the tide will turn. Thanks, Dom. Really interesting stuff there on Hitafi. You mentioned this could be a relegation fight for them. I mean, they are only two points above the relegation zone as things stand. Hitafi then will have been glad to see Elche lose this weekend. They are slowly falling down the table following their bright start. They lost 1-0 to Granada this weekend to make it six matches without a win now for Elche. It's not been bad, they've had a lot of draws, but it seems that teams might be starting to work them out. Looking through the other results of the weekend now, we had a bunch of draws. It was 2-2 in a back and forth game between Valencia and Athletic Club on Saturday. Another match that saw a lot of money donated to the food bank. Carlos Soler doesn't miss penalties and he scored another. But Raul Garcia doesn't really miss penalties either and he scored one too just after coming off the bench. There's a really good article by Sam Leverage on Raul Garcia on LaLigaLowdown.com right now and that's well worth checking out whenever you have a moment. We also had a draw in Real Betis versus Villarreal. A 1-1 draw this time with Villarreal scoring early in the first half and Real Betis scoring early in the second It's just one point then for Manuel Pellegrini as he went up against the club he coached for five glorious years. It's Real Betis' first draw of the season, actually. Then there was also a draw in the Gipuzkoa derby between Real Sofidad and Ibar. Igor Zubaldia thought he'd won it late on, but VAR came in to rule that goal out and to mean that the spoils were shared in this derby, keeping up Ibar's run of good form and keeping up Real Sofidad's run of draws. That's six draws in a row now across all competitions for Real Sofidad. 
We're going to wrap up this episode now with a special news segment. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be answering questions on the podcast from some of our most loyal listeners. And this week, we've got a question from Oscar, a.k.a. Footy Whisperer on Twitter. He asks, do you guys think the drop in La Liga's goals per game has anything to do with how newly promoted sides are doing in recent times? And here's Paco Pollitt to answer that. Hi Oscar, first of all, thank you so much for your loyalty since La Liga Lodon kickstarted this project back in 2018. And yes, I think there's a relationship between both parameters. We should properly place the drop in La Liga's gold per game into context though. 10, 15 years ago, the difference between top La Liga teams and the so-called little ones was extreme, very, very high. Around half of the 20 sides were regarded as cannon fodder and therefore conceded a huge number of goals every single season. But this gap has narrowed down incredibly over the last decade to the point where now I can confidently say that 90% of the teams have very similar professional inner workings. We're talking about physical work, we're talking recovery, nutrition, diet, data analysis, video analysis, training methods. Therefore, the balance between teams is higher than ever, and the individual quality of the players is the only trait which unlevels the games. That quality can only be afforded by a few sides, Madrid, Barca, Atletico, you name them, and that's why many games are only narrowly won by a single goal or even end in goalless draws in the scoreboard. Again, thanks for your question. Yes, thank you, Oscar, for the question, and we'll have some more listener questions coming up over the next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. And also be sure to check out our Twitter account, at La Liga Lowdown, especially because we've got a lot of football over the next few days. There's the 10th and final match of match day 13 between Celta Vigo and Cadiz on Monday night. There's also Copa del Rey action this midweek and La Liga games between Real Madrid and Atletic and between Barcelona and Real Sociedad. So we'll be covering all of that on Twitter. For now, I want to thank all of the contributors to this episode. That's Emily Wilson, Matt Clark, Roman de Harker, Dom Tancock and Paco Pollitt. I've been your host, Jim McTeer. And thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.